Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's great to see all of you here. Glad you could join us this morning. Um, if I have not had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Eric. I am a pastor in training here. Um, we're going to see how this mic goes. It should work fine. Usually only one of the mics goes south, and Kent got it first this week, so we should be good. We'll see what happens. Uh, just bear with me. Um, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to Ephesians 2, that passage that we just read. We're going to get there in just a little bit. Um, so you can take your time getting there. You can go now. You can go later. Um, whatever you want to do. So if you're just hopping in with us, we are nearing the end of our series uh, leading up to Christmas. So we have spent the last several weeks, and we're going to continue today and then next week as well, uh, talking about how the gospel is good news for all people. It's good news for all people. Um, And specifically, we're talking about a few different groups of people um, who, according to scripture, that the gospel is particularly good news. Um, so we're going to continue that today. And if you don't know, I don't, I don't think, as I was working through this, I don't think we've actually mentioned where we got the language from for this series or the title, Good News for All People. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know, we got that from Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 10 and 11. It's the chunk of verses we normally use to start off or as part of what we call the Christmas story. Um, if you read that. So what happens is this angel appears to some shepherds and gives an announcement uh, that Jesus was born. So this is what they say in, in Luke 2. I'll put it on the screen so you don't have to turn there. But it's, they say, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So he says that it is good news that will cause great joy for all people, right? Joy to the widow, like we talked about. Joy to the poor, joy to the orphan. Uh, Joy to anyone and everyone, all because of the hope that Jesus brings. Uh, Joy joy to so many people who who it seems like um, time and time again uh, may be denied uh, just basic human dignity at times or, or respect and love that people deserve. So it's joy for all of those people, all these different groups of people. And, and today, we're going to be continuing that and talking about how God is the protector of the foreigner. God is the protector of the foreigner. Um, so I want to start off just by taking a quick look, look through Scripture um, and just look at some of the things that the Bible has to say about uh, God's view of foreigners or God's idea and, and where we get this idea that God is a protector of the foreigner. So there's plenty of, of these that uh, I didn't have time to put on here. I could just stand up here and just rattle off verses for probably half an hour um, to talk about all these different things. Some of these may sound familiar just because of the series that we're in, um, but I want to rattle off a few just so we're all on the same page and ones that I think are worth mentioning. And these are all going to be on the screen. Um, so first, Leviticus 19 33 and 34 says, uh, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Exodus 22:21 says, do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Exodus 23:9 says, do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners because you were foreigners in Egypt. Deuteronomy 10.19 says, and you are to love those who are foreigners for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Zechariah 7.10 says, do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. And then Matthew 25.35 says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. 
Um, and so for that last one in particular, throughout Scripture, and if you look at some of the other verses that we ended up not including in that list, uh, we see the word foreigner. Sometimes it's also uh, translated as stranger, like we just saw, or sojourner, outsider, refugee. There's a list that Scripture uses. But basically, um, all of that is summed up as a, a person who was from a different uh, ethnic or linguistic group from the, from the people that were being talked to in Scripture. And like I said, this is, this is by no means exhaustive, but do you, do you see the trend? It's not even a trend, it just repeats a lot of the same words, so I guess that is a trend by definition. It's fine. Um, so just like we mentioned with all these other weeks in this series, um, in general, just like all the other people groups, foreigners were a particularly vulnerable group of people, especially at this time. Right? In, in societies at the time where, where wealth or status or, or your standing in society was determined largely by the things that you owned or maybe your property or, or different things like that, um, if you were a, a foreigner, if you were someone who had to move away from the place that you were from, you likely didn't have access to any of those things, um, especially not in the same way that, that people around them did. Um, and also, in a time where Normally, people would, would stay where they were, where you were born, that's where you stayed, that's where you lived your life, and, and that's where you spent most of your time. So in, in a time like that, uh, for you to be a foreigner anywhere often meant that something pretty dramatic or, or traumatic had to happen in order for you to be removed from the place that you were from. So it could have been war, it could have been famine, it could have been all sorts of different things, but it was something that forced you out of your home in general. So essentially... Uh, you would be a person who, who was without social or financial or physical protection that the majority of people around you would uh, have access to wherever you were. Um, not to mention any of the other challenges that you would inherently face just by uh, being unfamiliar with a particular place or a particular system. Um, so throughout all recorded history, not, not just a, a couple thousand years ago, which is when some of those passages were written, um, and even before that, when, when the Israelites were in Egypt, um, foreigners and, and immigrants, I feel like, have always and continue to be a particularly vulnerable group of people, all right? This is not just a historical phenomenon, not something that just happened in the past, and it's also not something that just happens today. And while this whole series that we've been working through has, has, been, has been great and something that I've really enjoyed, each week has been, has been really helpful for me, it's been encouraging for me, challenging for me in some ways, and I've really enjoyed it, um, this week in particular really stands out to me and it is really personal to me. Um, and now, you may be wondering uh, why I, a, a 20-something white guy in East Tennessee, uh, feel particularly strongly about a, a week talking about foreigners. Um, but uh, I'd love to go into a little bit of background and to some of my story uh, and try to give a little more perspective and, and try, to, try, try to show you why this uh, is particularly important to me. Uh, and I'm going to include some pictures, which we don't normally do. So it's my week, though, so I'm going to include pictures. Because <laughs> I want to. Um, so this first picture is me and my family. Uh, we're out on a little, a little excursion. Uh, this also, uh, this was me a while ago. So this is going to be several pictures throughout my life. Um, but this, this picture obviously is not really around here. Um, but this was also not just like a, like a fun little mission trip that we, that we went on with my family, like through a church or something. Um, this, this was functionally uh, more or less my backyard um, growing up. So for those who don't know, um, I grew up on the other side of the world in a place called Kathmandu, Nepal. Um, so if you're foggy uh, with your geography and think that sounds like a totally made-up place, uh, that's fine. Nepal is a country that is uh, about the size and shape of Tennessee. It's pretty small, sandwiched right between India and China. It's just stuffed right in the middle, right there. So it's a really small country, landlocked, um, like I said, about the size of Tennessee, but it has eight of the world's ten tallest mountains. Um, if anyone has watched the, I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to. Has anyone watched the, the Netflix documentary or movie, 14 Peaks? Like four people. Cool. <laughs> There's a Netflix documentary called 14 Peaks, um, and more than half of those are in Nepal, uh, which is pretty cool. So it's all the tallest mountains in the world. Um, so that's where I grew up. That's where I lived uh, until I was in 10th grade. Uh, so I lived there uh, a long time. 
Um, and again, it's my week, so I'm going to go through some more pictures. So we're going to do that. Just to give a little, a little insight into what life looked like, just very briefly. So this first picture, this is where I lived. Um, this is my house. It looks pretty big. It is literally just like a giant concrete box. There's nothing in it. No air conditioning, no central heat, none of that. It's just concrete. Um, we would use the refrigerator in the winter to keep things from freezing. So you put it in there. If you want it to be frozen, it goes on the counter. It'll be solid in the morning. Um, but only in the winter, so that was nice. Uh, okay, so the next one, this is a view of part of downtown. Uh, this is really close to where I live. These are some temples that are uh, about 800 years old. Uh, it was an old palace that was just right in the middle of downtown. So that's, that's one of those pictures. Um, my parents worked for a, a mission organization. Um, so this is the, a church that they helped start that I went to for many years growing up. Um, yeah, this was, this was it. This was not like, this is one of the rooms. This was it. This is a church. Um, so it's pretty cool. This is, this is what I grew up in a lot of, the, a lot of my life. Um, and then this was me uh, getting baptized outside uh, in January. So if you'll look up in the top right, you see that big metal container. That's where we were boiling water so that we didn't get hypothermia. Um, but yeah, all you need is some bricks and some tarp, and you're good to go. So, you know, I tried to convince the guys that we should do that for our baptism gathering, and we ended up opting for a much better option. Um, and then this last picture is just my favorite because look at those overalls that I was wearing. <laughs> How cool is that? Uh, so this was right uh, a couple, about a year after I moved to Nepal. This is, I, was, I was very small. This is me and my family again. Um, so I just wanted to show you the, those pictures, um, partially because I like showing pictures of uh, my life and myself. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, and it's my week, like I said. Uh, so... When I was growing up in Nepal, I, uh, I would say obviously, maybe it wasn't clear from some of those pictures, I think I, I pretty obviously stood out a little bit. Um, for context, this is a, a good family friend of ours. Uh, he is average to above average size and stature and complexion, all of those things, and that was me about three inches shorter than I am now. Um, so I stood out a little bit <laughs> everywhere. Um, Basically, every, every way that you could be different from someone around you, it's, that's basically uh, what I was. And when I was a lot younger, uh, I had like really, really curly, really bright hair, like curlier and brighter than it is currently, um, which is two things no one else in the country had. And so uh, a lot of people loved just like walking up in the grocery store and just like grabbing my hair and like doing stuff like that. It was very overwhelming. Um, but yeah, it, I stood out a lot. I looked different. Uh, I spoke a different language. Um, eventually learned the language, but I, I spoke a different language natively, and I checked basically all the boxes for different, right? Any, any way that you could be different. Also, that picture is up on the screen in the back, and it's really making me cringe, so sorry. <laughs> there it is, thank you. I got rid of that shirt a long time ago, I promise. Um, whew, that was a good one. So, oh wow. Um, like I said, I, I stood out a lot, but, but more than just that, life was just incredibly different there than it was here uh, for a lot of people from, from what I understand. So, uh, for example, um, I used to ride my bike to school um, every day, and I remember there were plenty of times uh, getting stopped by military vehicles full of armed soldiers who were, who were stopping people and searching vehicles because of uh, political unrest, right? Uh, a lot of people here in the States, uh, if you went to school here, you probably had like fire drills, maybe like tornado drills if you live in certain parts of the country. Uh, we had bomb drills, um, so we would do those all the time. There were several times we had to evacuate school because of bomb threats. Um, and <laughs> so we ended up having to walk home, um, and what would happen is like they would gather all the students together in a room, and they would be like, hey, there's some bomb threats, you all have to leave. Uh, on the way home, just like avoid crowds and mysterious packages, and you should be good. And they just like send us on our way. So not overwhelming at all. Um, I remember one time we were riding in our car, uh, my, my mom was driving, and we turned this corner, and there was a huge crowd that was uh, in the process of having a, a very uh, un unrestful, is that a word? Uh, there was, it was a large riot, basically. People were throwing bricks. Uh, the car was kind of surrounded, people banging on the windows, stuff like that, so we had to turn and leave. Um, and these are things that, that just happened. 
in my life, right? So part of my life uh, probably sounds kind of similar to like some like Bourne movie or like Bond movie or like super action-packed, um, which I guess in some ways just like fewer like cool cinematic sequences and more like stuff I get to talk about in counseling now, um, <laughs> which is fine, <laughs> which is good. It's a good thing. Um, but the, there were times, too, like, I, I would have to take, like, different routes to go to and from school. Like, we had, we were told, you know, you can go this way on this day, this way on a different day, because we had to make sure nobody was, like, following us or monitoring us because of what my parents were doing there as, as foreign Christians. Um, so a lot of these things had some lasting effects, right? So um, today, uh, most of my family actually has this thing where we, where we feel like we can't have our back to a, like, to a door in a public place, like a restaurant or um, just like any, any large public space because uh, we always want to be able to see the door because we always want to see who's coming in and we always want to see the fastest way out. Um, like if something goes down, you got to be ready and you got to know where to go and you got to know the fastest way to get there. Um, so also, I get incredibly uneasy in large crowds uh, still. I didn't think this was a thing until I went to a football game with Kent Nana, uh, and my watch uh, is like a fitness tracker, and my heart rate didn't go below like 120 the entire time. Uh, so go balls, right? <laughs> Super fun. Uh, love, love that. Um, so in a lot of ways, which is not your fault, Kent. I appreciate the invite. Um, <laughs> in a lot of ways, the, the bulk of my childhood experience uh, was that of a foreigner there, right? But, but interestingly, my main point today is not... Um, or the, the main point I have for why this week weighs particularly on my heart is, is not uh, my experience growing up in Nepal, right? If we're being honest, while life itself um, was difficult at times, obviously, we, we were still ultimately okay. Um, were there days that, that we had to go, or weeks even, where, where we didn't have access to, to gas or uh, electricity? Yeah, there were. Uh, but we had some close intimate friends and a community of people around us who, who cared deeply about us and knew us deeply, and, and we, were, we were connected with resources if we, if we needed it. Um, there were times of political and social unrest, like I talked about, but there were also, excuse me, I am so sorry, I just burped into the microphone. <laughs> that is horrific. Um, so there were, there were also weeks where we had to, where we had to ration uh, filtered water, right, during times where there was uh, a particularly dry season or, or anything like that. Um, but ultimately, we had people we could communicate with back in the States, and if we really needed to, we, we could come back to, uh, back to America. Um, so it was certainly difficult at times, um, but it, as strange as it may sound to, to a lot of people here, um, that, that was just normal life for me growing up. Like, that was my experience. That was what was normal, right? For, for a large portion of my life, I didn't really know anything different. I didn't, I didn't feel out of place. That was just the life that I was living, right? People often ask me questions like, oh, what was it like growing up in Nepal? Which I understand the question. Um, it's a different experience than most people. But in my head, I just think, like, just growing up. It's like me saying, like, oh, my gosh, you were nine once? That was crazy. What was that like? It's like, Ugh. It was just life. We all did it. And so for me, it was like, that was part of life. So it, it, it wasn't a time where I felt incredibly out of place at the time. Um, so, so it was not me being an American in Nepal um, where, where I felt the most out of place or most like a foreigner personally. It was, it was really when I, having grown up in Nepal, moved to America. When I moved here, uh, that, that was when things really changed for me. Um, I've, done, I've done a lot of difficult things in my life and experienced a lot of, a lot of hard things, I would say, but the hardest thing that I have ever done uh, was come here, for sure. Um, like I said, I moved here when I was in 10th grade, um, which is the best time to transition your life, just in general. Um, best time. Uh, it, it's, I find it, finds the, it includes the least social pressure um, and the least change that you experience in your life. It's usually like 16. That's when everyone's in their prime. Um, that may have been you. It wasn't me. Uh, you saw those pictures. Um, <laughs> those were the good ones, right? I sorted through a lot. Uh, but I, I, uh, 
I had this, this idea in my mind um, that I would come to America, I would be welcomed with open arms. Um, I was gonna go to my new private Christian school. Uh, I was gonna be surrounded by people who looked like me and, and talked like me, said, spoke the same language. I would, I would just regale the masses with tales of grandeur, right? Everyone would gather around to hear my amazing stories. Um, I was really pumped to be in an American high school. I was like, finally get to live out those movies that I've seen, which was like, at the time, like High School Musical and like, bring it on. I was like, love my context. <laughs> I was like, this is gonna be great. <laughs> um, I was very wrong, not just on the movie part. Like, I was just very wrong about uh, how that experience was gonna go. Um, I was like a complete outcast, honestly. The only movie that I felt like I was a part of was like Mean Girls. Um, except I didn't do the part where she like worked her way up the social ladder and was like running stuff. That was not, that was not me. Um, I was also asked really weird questions, uh, not like the what was it like growing up in Nepal. That's a pretty normal question. Um, I have unironically been asked, why are you white? I have gotten that. Uh, which, I don't know why somebody would ask that. That is literally a quote from Mean Girls, but they were not quoting Mean Girls when they said it. They were just asking me the question. Um, I got asked, uh, how did I learn to speak English? That was a good one. Um, had I ever seen grass before? I don't know why that was the first thing that came to somebody's mind, but these are some of the things people would ask. But when I, when I came to America and I came into that context in that private Christian school, um, I didn't, I didn't have the same experiences as people around me. Right? I, didn't get, uh, I didn't get their pop culture references. Um, I, didn't, I didn't care about the same things, right? And people made a point uh, to let me know just how different I was. Um, not by giving me a warm welcome, not by celebrating all the things that I had experienced, uh, but by pretty much ostracizing me, um, by, by mocking the things that I didn't know, uh, the things that I did wrong. Um, I didn't like the right things. I didn't dress the right way. I didn't, um, I didn't say the right things, even though I finally spoke the same language as everybody around me. Um, and some people would just say some horrible things like to me and about me, um, just for the sake of it, right? Not because I had done something to them, but because I came into their context and they just thought I was different and they wanted to, to highlight that. They wanted to make a point of it. Because it made them laugh, right? Made them, made them laugh to emphasize all the ways that I was different from them. Um, so instead of what I thought would happen, which was finally feeling like I belonged, finally, finally feeling like um, I, could, I could fit in, um, in in a way that was like I am completely welcome. Everyone around me is, is similar to me. They, they look similar. They sound similar. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be part of this group. Um, it was actually a time in my life that I felt the most out of place and the most estranged, uh, the most like a foreigner in my entire life, even though everybody around me looked like me and spoke like me. Um, and this went on for the rest of high school. Uh, so I, I was able to get to the point in life where I could like get along with a few people. Um, but, but I went through those years without having a single close friend at my school. Um, and I was, I was so angry. Um, I was so angry because I, I didn't understand, uh, whew, this wasn't supposed to happen. <clears throat> mm. I, didn't, I didn't know why people didn't, didn't want to be around me, right? Um, I didn't know why people didn't want to be my friend. I didn't, I didn't know any of those things except for I just had different experiences to them. Right? I, I was doing everything right. I thought I was. Everything I needed to do to be accepted. Um, but I felt so alone. Um, and some of, you, some of you may be able to relate to that feeling. Um, of like walking into a, a place or walking into a building that's full of people every day and just being, feeling completely isolated at the same time, right? That hurts. <laughs> that doesn't feel good. Um, 
And, and I don't say any of these things to, to, gain, to gain pity or to attribute blame to, to anyone. Um, I just, I just want to give you guys a, a glimpse of understanding um, that if it was like that for me as a white Christian kid in a white Christian context, how much more of an outsider do you think people could feel in America right now if they look different? if they sound different, if they, if they don't have any sense of security around them. Can you imagine just how confusing it would be uh, if you had no idea what was going on and you walked into like a Walmart? That's confusing as it is. Like, let alone not having any context for, for a store like that. Or the DMV, like who goes into the DMV confidently? Like I don't even, it doesn't matter who you are. No one's like, I know exactly what I'm doing here. No. Now imagine you don't understand what any of those forms say. Imagine that everyone's staring at you when you walk in because you look different than they do. Right? Imagine all, all the stressors of life when you're confused and lonely and, and isolated. And, and oftentimes you're there because you were displaced. Not because you wanted to be there a lot of the time. Right? Can you imagine how that feels, and then some people just being angry at you just because you're there, right? Could you imagine how that feels? Right? I, could, I could tell you stories for hours about people that I know personally that, that I met when I was growing up or that I've met since I've been here who, who, uh, who were displaced, who moved here to the States as a foreigner and some of the struggles that they have faced. Um, for example, I have a family friend who, he was, a, he was a math teacher for me growing up. He had multiple master's degrees. He was super highly educated, uh, a fantastic guy. He ended up moving to Virginia uh, as a refugee. He had to, he had to leave the country. Um, and when he got here, due to some kind of uh, bureaucratic stuff that went on, basically he was told, like, yeah, none of that counts. Uh, you basically didn't go to school. You'll be lucky to work at a fast food place. Um, can you imagine spending that many years of your life? I've, I've also heard stories about this happening to, to people in the medical field, right? People who are, who are doctors, wherever they live. Um, they went to school for years. They put in all this work. They ended up having to, to leave and, and coming here just to be told, like, actually, we don't count that. You're not a doctor. Not here. Right? Can you imagine how disorienting that would be? Just how crushing that would be? And that's just one piece on top of all the other stuff that you would experience. So when we say that God is a protector of the foreigner, are you starting to see why that sounds like such good news? Right? We can debate legislation and policy, political preferences, whatever, all day. That is not what we are talking about. I am, I am confident in saying, based on what the Bible says, that there is, there is no room for a follower of Jesus to close their heart towards or knowingly make life harder for a foreigner. And, and if you look at some of the passages that we mentioned earlier, and, and even more that I didn't have time to get to throughout the Bible, the Old Testament specifically, a lot of those passages that I talked about, you'll see the common thread. It says the, the reason that goes with this command to, to love and protect and, and welcome the foreigner who remembers what it comes back to? Why do they say that? He says, because you were once foreigners in Egypt. Because you were once foreigners. Right? These commands were given, and, and the hearers would have been overwhelmingly familiar with what it felt like to be a foreigner. Right? Two of the commands we just read are from Exodus. Um, and literally just a few pages before what we, what we read at the beginning, uh, the Israelites were in the process of fleeing from Egypt, right? That's like saying to a group of people something that's so poignant and fresh on your mind. It's like, hey, somebody feels really isolated and you should care about them because do you remember how isolated you felt when you couldn't leave your house because we were locked down? Like a lot of people are like, oh, God, I hate that. Don't say that. But like you, it's familiar. You understand it because, because it's something that we've experienced. It's something that you have felt. And so you can relate to that feeling. And, and that's what the author is counting on in the Old Testament. Obviously on a much bigger scale with what the Israelites face in Egypt. 
It was a terrible situation that lasted for so long, and the author says, hey, you were once foreigners, remember? And everyone's like, yes, absolutely. I don't want to, but yes. Right, and, and you guys, you heard part of my story, um, but, but I'm telling you, that there, there are thousands of people experiencing far worse versions of what I experienced right now in Knoxville. Right, people are being stared at poked fun of, sometimes even viewed with, with suspicion or antagonism just, just by being there, right? Or, or at the bare minimum, if nothing is happening to them, they're still dealing with disorientation and, and confusion of living in a place that's foreign and unfamiliar, where, where it isn't easy to, to knock out all the daily tasks that you have to knock out just to survive, right? People may not have transportation, or, or internet, or resources, or even a place to stay, any number of things. But we're told, we're told in the Bible that God's heart goes out to those types of people, right? God desires to care for those types of people, to provide for them, to protect them, right? And, and as we've been highlighting throughout this series, uh, God desires to do an awful lot of those things through his people. That is what he wants to do. Now, some people here, you may have experienced uh, some form of that isolation, right? Maybe because of, of your family immigrating here from, from another place or just moving in general, which can be incredibly difficult. And this may be an easy concept for you to understand and relate to. Um, but some people may be thinking like, I've, I've never really felt like that, like, one time I didn't get to sit with somebody at lunch, but like, I got over it, right? But th this can be a hard concept, I think, for some people to fully grasp the, the depth of what is being talked about. Um, but fortunately, the Bible is not only referencing things um, that in the Old Testament that, that the Israelites experienced. We can read about the plight of the Israelites and the years that they spent in Egypt as foreigners and being oppressed um, but it's not the only thing that we have as a reminder. It's not the only thing we have as, as a means to understand why we should be caring about this as followers of Jesus. Um, I think the Bible, the Bible actually says any of us, anyone who follows Jesus can identify with the experience of being a foreigner. Everyone, I will say, that, that is a follower of Jesus should understand that concept. Right? I said at the beginning we would end up here, so if you want to look at Ephesians 2, um, that's, that's where we're going to look really quick. We're going to start in verse 11. So it says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles, which is just anybody who's not Jewish, um, or anyone who is not part of God's chosen people in Scripture. So you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ, right? You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners, that's that word that, we were, that we've been talking about, you were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Right? You who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So right off the bat, we see the, the author gives a reminder to the readers again. It says, uh, you all know that, that God has made a covenant with Israel, uh, and also, you're not Israelites. That's what he's saying, right? He said that they were called um, uncircumcised, which had a lot of religious significance at the time. Um, just a reminder, uh, if you have any questions about circumcision, you can email us at jeff at citychurchknox.com. <laughs> um, he would love to talk to you. Um, uh, but, the, but the author... Uh, specifically says in this passage, they say, you were separate from Christ, 
right? Separate from Christ and excluded from citizenship in Israel. And what does he say they are? Foreigners, right? Foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. That is an incredibly vulnerable place to be, right? Without hope and without God in the world. And that is not unique to the audience of Ephesians, of this, of this letter, right? This is all of us before entering into a relationship with Jesus. Every single person before entering into a relationship with Jesus is without hope. That's what the author is saying here. And I feel like this is where um, a lot of people, especially here in the South or in the Bible Belt where, where we live, fall into a really dangerous trap. Um, I, feel like, I feel like I've seen this happen plenty of times. Um, here in this part of the country, um, up until now, some things may, may be changing, but in general, cultural Christianity is the phrase that we use, is a, is a really prevalent phenomenon. Um, sometimes when people talk about their life, uh, you, you hear things uh, like, I grew up in a Christian home, I've just always been a Christian, right? I've just always been a Christian. Or, uh, I've, uh, you know what, I've always been involved in church, so I've really always had a relationship with, with Jesus. Um, I, I want to reiterate what Scripture says and, and what Scripture makes incredibly clear, and that's that every single one of us are all foreigners to God because of our sin. Every single one of us individually are foreigners to God. And we are all outsiders that had to be welcomed in and invited in. Right? And that doesn't just happen because of what your parents believe. It doesn't just happen because of, because of where you spend your Wednesday nights and your Sunday mornings. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't happen by default because you've been involved in that environment. This, for us to be welcomed in, Jesus had to do something extreme on our behalf. Right? This, the reality about this is, is we could not be more different than God because of our sin. We could not be more different than God. Right? And it was precisely because of our sin that we were alienated. Because of our sin, we are foreigners to God. So the only way for us to be brought inside was for God to do something about our sin. And for God to do something on our behalf for us. Right? For, for us to, to have been intentionally pursued and intentionally invited in because of the blood of Jesus. And with that, everything changes. Right? Everything changes. Just like the author of Ephesians said, we were without hope, separate from God, separate from Christ, outsiders, foreigners, foreigners to God. But because of Jesus leaving the comfort of heaven, leaving the comfort of, of oneness with the Father in heaven and actively laying down his life and actively shedding his blood, because of that, we have been welcomed in. Right, what a beautiful reality. That is, that is so incredibly beautiful. And the, and the point that Scripture makes is, is that any one of us that claims to know Jesus at one point, was a foreigner. At one point, you did not know Jesus. Right? That's the point that Scripture makes. And, and the fact that we are now, as followers of Jesus, part of God's family, we owe that entirely to what someone else did. We owe that entirely to what Jesus did to welcome us in. Right, so all of this, everything that we're talking about starts not, not with seeing ourselves as some great rescuer and some great protector of foreigners. That's not where this starts. This starts by seeing ourselves as the foreigner. It starts by seeing ourselves as the one that God 
welcomed in. Right? That, that is a lasting motivation. Right? That is a motivation to welcome other people in. So I talked a little bit, like I said, about, about my story and the reality of some of the things that I faced um, growing up and, and moving to America. And I will say, fortunately, everything didn't stay exactly that way. It didn't have to stay that way. Um, after I'd been in the States uh, at, at that private Christian school that I was at um, for a little over a year, uh, I got involved at a, at a church um, that had a pretty large youth group. Um, I, I vividly remember the first time uh, that I walked into this, into this church uh, youth, I call it a room, it was more like a youth auditorium, it was huge. Um, there were over 100, 100 people in this room, at least. Um, and uh, there was one person in the room that I, that I knew, not super well, but I had met before, um, because our parents actually worked for the same organization on different parts of the world, but he had actually moved to America a few years before, before I did. Um, and because of that, and because of his, his experience, um, he knew exactly what it was like to be an outsider. He knew exactly what it was like to be put into a new environment where uh, people around you didn't necessarily welcome you in, um, definitely not immediately. But he, he knew what that felt like, and, and to a degree, without even talking to me, just by knowing who I was and part of my story, um, he, he could relate to what I was experiencing, right? So he came straight to me, uh, and he invited me to sit with him, and uh, he introduced me to some of his friends that he had made um, there. Uh, and he, he made it a priority to make me feel welcome and to make me feel cared for and to make me feel like that was somewhere I belonged, right? And then uh, we hung out pretty much every day for the next five years, <laughs> Right? Uh, some people in here actually, some people know uh, Trevor Davis. Um, he is not in the room right now. He's in, he's in City Kids, but he'll listen to this later. He gave me permission. He said I could talk about him. Um, but he lives here now. He's a part of City Church uh, now. But um, that, that initiative that, that Trevor took and his willingness to look at me with, with a table full of friends that he had, that he knew, that he was close to. He had the willingness to, to look at me and say, I know, I know how it feels to be an outsider. He said, I, I know how that feels. And honestly, the, the way that he welcomed me in uh, legitimately helped me out of some of the darkest and most difficult times in my life. Um, and like I said, a, a big reason that, that he thought to do that, that he was willing to do that, was that he had gone through the same experience. He knew what it felt like to not feel welcome, to not feel at home. He knew what it felt like to be an outsider. And so when he saw another person going through the same thing, he knew exactly what needed to happen. He knew exactly what he needed to do. And, and that's what the gospel should instill in each and every one of us. As followers of Jesus, we know the experience. And because we know the experience, we should be the first to welcome people in. Right? Those of us who have experienced what it means to have been an outsider and then be welcomed into a family by Jesus have experienced a change unlike any other. And experiencing the welcoming nature of relationship with Jesus motivates us to extend that same welcoming and caring nature to other people. Listen, walking, walking at a distance and, and observing Christianity from the outside, um, I would say does not motivate that, uh, that action. Because it's something that you have not fully experienced. But when we remember that without God reaching out to us, without God welcoming us, the foreigner, we would not have the opportunity to ever be a part of God's family. 
right? And we, when we remember that, we can start to have our hearts shaped and, and, and molded to care for others in the same way. Right? And the goal is that individually and as a church, uh, our hearts would continue to be changed to be more like the heart of God. So with, with all the, the weeks in this series, um, this can have multiple implications for our lives as we leave here today. Um, one specific thing that, that we can do uh, to, to get involved, uh, we've been talking about different organizations that being, we've been working with every week. Um, and and uh, one of the organizations that we're partnering with is called Bridge Refugee Services. Um, so Bridge is a, is a great local organization whose mission, it, it, their mission statement is literally helping families rebuild their lives. Um, but they do it after they have arrived here in Knoxville. They also do some work in, in Chattanooga. Um, but people who have arrived in Knoxville from their home that they had to leave due to suffering that they were experiencing or, or persecution that they were experiencing and displacement. Um, just, just for context for you, in the past 10 years, uh, this, this organization has been able to resettle over 2,400 refugees uh, from Africa, Southeast Asia, uh, Eastern Europe, Central and South America, and the Middle East. Uh, last year alone, they were able to help 215 families here in Knoxville and help provide some resources that they need. And they do all kinds of different things. I could stand up here and give you a full presentation on the organization. I won't. Um, I would encourage you to go and look into some of what they do, but also part of the reason that we asked you guys to bring uh, betting items um, to the gathering today or, or just throughout our series for this organization in particular um, is because one of the services they provide is, is helping uh, provide a place to live, helping getting people connected to a place where they can live and where they can stay. And part of that means places need to be furnished in some way, right? Even, even on a, in a tiny, tiny scale, has, has anyone ever noticed that when you're not sleeping in your own bed, you always sleep a little bit worse? Or is that just me? I sleep terrible in any bed but my own. And I think, I mean, I think this is just like, this is what 30s bring. I can't go home, go anywhere without my, my pillow. It's got to be my pillow. I grew up sleeping, this is totally a tangent, I grew up sleeping on like a three-inch foam mattress, and now it's like, if I don't have my king-size memory foam, whatever, I just can't sleep at all. Um, I've gotten very soft. But the point is, if you're away from what is comfortable, what is familiar, what is yours, even just a small picture as much as like having bedding that somebody gives to you can, can have a huge impact. Right? Most of these families that they're serving uh, arrive here with next to nothing and, and are literally trying to rebuild from scratch. And, and working with, with Bridge is just one step. It's a great step. It's one step to get involved in, in loving and serving those around us who, who may be experiencing some of those things. Right? And the reason, again, the reason we do this as followers of Jesus is because we understand it is a direct response to what Jesus did for us. It is because of what Jesus did for us. Right? Jesus is a protector of the foreigner. Right? And, that, and that should motivate our hearts to be shaped to be more like Jesus is in this way. Um, I invite you guys to, to bow your heads and, and pray with me. Uh, Yeah, God, first, uh, I want to thank you so much for, um, for the gift of your son, um, for sending Jesus uh, to, to earth to, to just make a way uh, to, to invite us in, to welcome us into your family. Um, because without you, because of our sin, um, we, are, we are completely outside of, yeah, of your family, God. But you, you wanted that to be different and you made a way for that to happen um, in, sending, in sending Jesus. 
to take the steps towards us when we were in the midst of our sin, taking the steps towards us to welcome us into a family. Um, yeah, and we, we thank you so much for the, for the beauty of that reality. Um, thank you that we, we didn't do anything to earn or deserve um, you, you reaching out to us, you pursuing us, you, you making a way for us to be um, considered inside the family, not to be considered outsiders anymore, not to be considered foreigners to your covenant. And I thank you for the, for the beauty of that reality and, and um, just the hope that that gives those of us who are, who are followers of Jesus. And, and I just pray that our understanding of that um, of that reality and of the hope that we have would continue to grow and it would impact all the other parts of our life to see to see that where we are and who we are at, at our core as your followers is because of what you did for us when we did not deserve it um, and when we couldn't do anything for ourselves and I just pray that that even on such a small scale would start to, to grow in people's hearts um, to just give a uh, the perspective of of the lengths that you went, the lengths that you went to 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 make us feel welcome and to make us be included as part of your family, and that that would motivate us to take whatever steps that we need to do to be able to provide that that welcoming um, spirit and that that welcoming feeling and that protection that you provided for us. That that would motivate that in our lives. Um, yeah, I pray for. For everyone in this room, everyone, everyone listening, everyone a part of City Church and in our life groups as we, as we move forward, that, that this would not just be something that we talk about today, um, that it wouldn't just be something we talk about around Christmas, that, that this would um, help encourage those who are faithfully pursuing this and help motivate those who, just, who, who are continuing to grow in their understanding of you and what you've done. I thank you for the reality that you have... Uh, that you have welcomed us in, that you have given us a family to belong to and given us hope. And I just pray yeah, that that would, that would help continue to shape and, and change our desires and our hearts. Yeah. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.